for so long, many of you have been asking for more from the High Performance Podcast, and now you can get it. I'm pleased to say the High Performance app is available for you to download now. Simply search for High Performance in the App Store right now, and then use your exclusive code HPAPP for exclusive content, untold stories, and things you won't see or hear anywhere else. Check it out right now, the High Performance Podcast app. Hi there. You're listening to High Performance, the award-winning podcast that unlocks the minds of some of the most fascinating people on the planet. I'm Jake Humphrey, and alongside Professor Damien Hughes, we learn from the stories, successes, and struggles of our guests, allowing us all to explore, be challenged, and to grow. Here's what's coming up today. You know, careers are careers. I mean, football's a short one, and they do come to an end, but not being able to like kind of go through it how you'd want to go through it it's kind of tough to take as well, I suppose. We won the championship. We nearly got relegated the season after, first season in the Prem, and then the, the second year in the Prem, we go on and win it. Like, if you look at them as three years in football, it's it's just untouchable. I don't think you're going to get that. And then even the year after that, we got to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. It's not something that happens all the time, that. And I love football at Leicester, and I've never got it back since I left there. Obviously, like, I'm sobering up, and I'm in this cell. And I'm thinking, this is not you at all. It's not you as a person. It's not how you want to be as a person. Like, you need to get hold of yourself here. It's the darkest I've ever felt, 100%. It was almost like you're drowning a bit and you forgot how to swim. Why am I here and not even playing? So today we welcome a Premier League winner whose story is about so much more than just lifting that trophy. Danny Drinkwater is one of the most talked about and controversial players of the last few years. Yet today, he tells you his story in his own words, and nothing is off the table. It's time to find out what really went on behind the headlines. And we start with some big personal news as we welcome Danny Drinkwater to High Performance. 
a level where I felt valued. So I just thought like I'm I'm wrestling here for no reason. I'm happy not playing football, yeah. but I'm happy playing football. So do I just shake hands with the sport kind of thing? So I, I can see like when you say I'd like to announce my retirement, you can see then like the emotion. <laughs> yeah. What does it stir in you when you say it? Yeah, I, I mean, you, it's, it's all I've known. It's been my life since I was six, seven years old, I think. So it's not, you know, it's never going to be like an easy thing. I think the way it's kind of died down in a way has definitely helped. If it, Listen, if I was playing week in, week out and I, had to, and I had to say, like, I've got to stop maybe through injury or through just age, not being able to, like, get about the pitch like I'd like to, I think it'd be trickier. And is there a level that you wouldn't consider playing at? I mean, I've, I've had I've had quite a few offers from championship clubs and stuff. I just never felt like the burn. I just never, it just did nothing for me. I spent last year, the last year playing football on loan at Reading. Found, you know, I was I was unfit. Found the first six months, like, really hard. Last end of the season, uh, Paul Ince came in. And, you know, just having his old school kind of methods and stuff really helped me. And then I kind of found my feet again towards the end. But, uh, I mean, going into the season after that, not having been snapped up was kind of a bit of like a, something don't feel right here kind of thing. So I think I think then it was like I either pushed on fitness-wise by myself or I kind of just, like I said, just shook hands with the sport. What's that emotion like when you're a Premier League winner in his early 30s who was bought for multi-millions of pounds by one of the biggest clubs mm-hmm. in the country and suddenly, like, the offers aren't coming in. Do you, is it a sense of rejection? Do you feel forgotten about? What's the... Yeah, it's probably a bit of both. It's probably... I was... I must have been scratching my head for weeks. I, was, I remember I remember uh, speaking to someone else in football, and I was like, I just don't get it. How has no one, like, come and took a little chance, you know, just to get me really fit? Because they know what I'm capable of when I'm fit. Like, I just need to get fit. I've never been really obsessed with football. I've just absolutely loved it. So then the idea of me dropping down is fine. I've not got a problem with that. It, is, it was the idea of not playing to my worth. Like I, when I left United, I had this thing in the back of my head that was burning for years and it was to get back to like a top four or five team. And I think when I did that, it was almost like, you know, I'd, I'd not only proven it to, to myself, but it was almost like a, you know, kind of like... a a dig like shouldn't let me go like I'll prove you wrong kind of thing do you know what I mean yeah. I think that was kind of one of the big things that spurred me on throughout my career it wasn't the thought of dropping down leagues and stuff till I, till I can't move it was the thought of you know kind of proving people wrong I think So what did Manchester United teach you then about high performance? Oh everything I can't remember anyone growing up at United and saying a bad thing like literally from things off the field to everything on the field. It taught you how to behave. It taught you how to address people. It taught you how to, you know, manage yourself on the pitch. You know, it wasn't easy. I've I, I seen kids like get cut at young ages, like like friend, really good friends at the time. And it wasn't easy. But, you know, if, if you was one of the, the small minority that made it, it was such a good thing. And who were the people that you remember as being what we would call cultural architects? Who were the yeah. people around there setting the tone, letting you know the standards required at that football club? I mean, when you look at Sir Alex, he was always the king. And what about when you 
got towards the first team? Who were the players you looked at and thought, oh, that's the level, okay. Yeah. I mean, I had I was in the same building as Paul Scholes, Roy Keane, Gary Neville. Like The motivation, you just turned a corner in the corridor and it was like, wow. Like, you know, you were almost like starstruck and you, you, you literally in the gym next to them. It was... It was a bit surreal. There was this one summer, Cristiano Ronaldo was there for, I think, nine or ten months, you know, and then the season kind of ended and he, he you know, he, he left that summer and he, was, he wasn't this big machine. You know, he was, he was like a, a thin, like, kind of young teenager as it was and he'd come back after that summer and he looked like he'd just grown. It was crazy. And then even seeing that, you know, you're looking at that and you're thinking, oh, that's where I need to kind of get to. That's the kind of level, do you know what I mean? I remember that that summer, I, that whole season, I just absolutely smashed the gym because of what I seen in him. Didn't get out of the gym all summer, yeah. And do you ever remember getting any words of advice or guidance from any of those players you've uh, just referenced? Yeah, there was. I mean, there was there was a few times where they, you know, they they pull you. Uh, I remember we played uh, when we was in the reserves and that, and Danny Welbeck. Danny Welbeck was like a real, like he's still obviously a really good footballer, but he was. Uh, he was highly thought of in the team. And, you know, quite a lot of the first team and stuff would help him, especially Rio was was really close with Welbs. And then, you know, you'd get people like Fletch and stuff would give you like a nudge and be like, you know, you need to get your head down here and, and kind of crack on because you're not too far away from where you need to be. Which is obviously, you know, as a young player, you absolutely love that. And what about Ferguson? Would like, he's famous for his man management. Yeah. What, is there any sort of examples you can give of his? I had a few dealings with Sir Alex, to be honest. He was, I remember, there was a few, mate. Wow. So for some reason, I always got proper close with, like, the chefs at the clubs. And, I, you know, I love my food and I love cooking and all that, so just naturally. Uh, and I remember I was waiting for this uh, spaghetti bolognese, what Mike, the chef at United at the time, used to do fresh. And I was like, buddy hell, Mike, any chance? <laughs> Next minute, <laughs> round the back of me, I was like, what the? <laughs> and then he's like, you dare speak to him like that again? And I was like, oh. He's like, apologise. And then Mike, the chef's like behind the oven, like, <laughs> I'm like, sorry, mate. He's like, I thought so. Oh, that's uh, valuable though, isn't it? Oh, it's stuff you remember. Standards. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's like, you know, at the, at the time as a young kid, you're probably thinking, look, you look like, you know. You, but then when you get older, you're like, wow, that taught me so much. So much. Just being around the building, I thought it was, it was a great place to like, to grow older, for sure. So how and when was the news broken to you that it wasn't going to happen for you at United? Yeah, it was it was twenty one. So I went through all the, like that kind of loan kind of structure that that's really beneficial as a player as well at a young age. And yeah, I was about twenty one, and I think it was when I had a couple of unsuccessful loans that didn't really go like to plan. And then uh, I was at Barnsley, which I absolutely loved, loved that club. And then uh, Leicester came in for a bid, and then United kind of like was saying, "I think it's time," and I was like. Well, you know, I'm not, I can't say no. So I guess to just move on. So when you went to these loans as a young lad, it must have felt like a bit of a culture shock. What was it that you struggled with? I think a part of it was how physical it was. I mean, I was I was still a kid when I was 18, 19 years old. I was I had nothing on me. I was like a I was like a chicken bone. Was... So the day that you have to pack up your stuff and leave and go to Leicester, there's obviously an element of like I've been bought by another club, I'm wanted, you know, I'm going to have a career. But it's also like that dream of year after year just fighting to become a Manchester United player had gone. Was that moment difficult? Like, did you fight and sort of say, no, like, I can make it as a United player, give me another season? Or did you just accept? 
the club's decision. No, I think I just accepted it. I think I had no choice, to be honest. I think if, if the club was to say no to the offers, I think that, you know, you kind of got something behind you then to really, like, get your teeth stuck into kind of thing. But I just think when when a club kind of accepts an offer from another club, you know, it's they're kind of saying, we want the money instead of you kind of thing. Did it hurt? Uh, yeah, it did, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I remember going back now, there was no communication at all between me and the club. It was literally done between, like, agents, and I was, like, seven years. I was seven years old I was there from, 21. It's quite a long time. And it was it was nothing like thanks or, like, well done, good luck and all that at the time. It was a bit deflating, for sure. Maybe your first lesson at that moment about how brutal well, the exactly. world of I think it was. sport is. I think it was, mate, yeah, because you go from being protected so much at United to then like there you go kind of deal with it but you, you do get taught really good things along the way I'm not saying they left me like to the dogs do you know what I mean like we did get we did get taught so much things but what was the moment when you felt like I'm on my own here it was it was a feeling I'm not having that safety net well look it turned into the the best time of your oh. career I'm sure you wouldn't argue with that let's talk about how special and magical those few years were at Leicester yeah when you reflect on it now you've got that sort of great power of hindsight to actually look back properly. Yeah, for sure, yeah. What was the magic? Definitely the team bond was unbelievable. And then I'd probably say, me personally, I'd probably say balance. Like, I've never felt so, like, balanced on and off the pitch during my time at Leicester than ever before. And Explain what you mean by that, Dan. Like, I was, I was confident. When I got through that first period at Leicester, after that, I was just full of confidence. I wasn't arrogant, I was just confident. And then on the pitch, I was, you know, I was this communicator, but I would never, like, overstep the communication where I'd maybe make someone feel like a bit shit. You know, and then off the pitch, I had, like, I was in, like, a, a long-term relationship, but then I would also enjoy time with a lot. Everything was just kind of felt right, all felt dead easy. But I think it was just everything felt, like, such nicely timed for that finish. It's hard to really point to words. And when you reflect on that time, what is the, you know, for a lot of people it would just be like the trophy lift was the famous yeah. moment when you won the Premier League. What do you look, what do you remember though as a moment that kind of summed up what that, what that club did for you and why it was so special? It was, we won the championship. We nearly got relegated the season after, first season in the Prem. And then the, the second year in the Prem, we go on and win it. Like if you look at them as three years in football, it's... It's just untouchable. I don't think you're going to get that. And then even the year after that, we got to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. It's not something that happens all the time, that. So when Pearson gets sacked, that's yeah. the first time that you've obviously lost a manager, if you like, mm -hmm. uh, at a club. So what was the reaction to his sacking? But equally, what was the reaction when you heard that Ranieri was coming in? I think having Claudio Ranieri come in, it was a huge name. And he'd managed some massive clubs. So I think, you know, me included, and a lot of like, bloody hell. Like, the owners are really having a go here. Like, you know, we've just kind of scraped it in the Prem. Like, this is a big sign, this. And what was he like as a manager? Oh, it was wicked. Absolutely really? wicked, yeah. I loved him. I used to call him a granddad. Honestly, he, tr he treated him like a grandson. It was, it was just unbelievable. Like, if there was anything I ever needed, even like an extra day off, because something that maybe had happened off the pit, he'd, he'd be like, no problem, drinks. Just make sure you look after yourself kind of thing, look after your family, whatever, and then just come back the day after and make sure you're good to go. For me, he was exactly what I needed at exactly the right time. And when did you know 
or believe you were going to win the Premier League? I've always said it was City away. I remember that game and it was we didn't get dominated and luckily score three goals. We kind of dominated the game and kind of battered them. And in the dressing room afterwards, I remember like, fucking hell, lads, like this is, this is our chance, this. But if you could pinpoint the difference then between the season before where, like you say, you've nearly got relegated to go into City and dominating them. Mm-hmm. What was the difference? I think going through what we went through, so that relegation thing and like coming out of it right at the end, I think the momentum of that going into the new season massively helped us. Because, you know, we, we've we've almost like flirted with what the possibility was of going back to the championship. And I think that was like a strong feeling for quite a lot of us. And then starting the new season in the Prem, it was like, we're staying in the Prem. There's no two ways about it. Like, we need to do everything we can to, to make sure we stay in the Prem. And then, you know, you win a game, you win a game, and then it's like, shit. But yeah, it was just it was just an unbelievable season. In the moment you lift that trophy, is there any part of you that's thinking about Manchester United and the fact they let you go at that point? Yeah, there was definitely a part, 100%. There was definitely a, like, almost relief. There was obviously, like, relief that we've just done it finally and it personally for me it was like I can still do what I know I can do it was a huge trophy but then you know that that summer window there was there was a few of the big clubs like knocking on the door wanting to take me and I was like listen I want to kind of see this through with Leicester you know I want winning Champions League like it's a journey like I want to still be a part of it I think then it was more like my focus was mainly on Leicester and seeing what we can achieve again I didn't want to disappear then from Leicester I wanted to carry on that was just a driver for me massively. Of course, the one thing that is bigger than club football is international football. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this was the time that the moment came where you got an England call-up. Mm-hmm. How did that feel? No, that was mad. The first call-up, because it was, it was getting talked about quite a bit and, you know, why is he not in the squads and all that stuff. But I didn't really pay too much attention to that. I was trying not to. I think when I did, equaled the feeling of lifting the trophy for me. Wow, really? Yeah. It How was, did you find out? Uh, we was training on the pitch. It was obviously before the training session, the lads and that, you know, it's like, it was like, ah, oh, drinks, you want to get cold up? And I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, like, leave it, you got no chance. Like, it's got to train kind of thing. And then the kit man, Macker at the time, like Leicester ran out, drinks, drinks, you're in the squad. And then kind of training stopped and that, everyone just buzzing, you know, high fives everywhere and that. Didn't really sink in. And then when I got home, told my dad, and yeah, probably the first time I've seen him cry, to be honest. He wasn't as emotional when you won the league? No, 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 no. That England call-up for him, I think, was like the big the big thing. What did that do for you? Oh, yeah, it made it mad, in it? Validation, everything. Like, you know, like, wow. Finally made him proud kind of thing. You know, you go from win the league to, like, getting your England call-up and it's like, this is what I've worked kind of so hard for. And what was it like when you turn up for your first yeah, it was game mad. England? It was mad. I remember, uh, I mean, it wasn't the time when, like, you know, there was... Steven Gerrard's, Frank Lampard's and John Terry's. It, it wasn't that time, but still had like unbelievable players who I looked up to for like the majority of my career. And now okay. I was, I mean, you look at like Gaz Cahill, there was James Milner, you know, players I've played with like throughout England levels, schoolboy, that I was now playing in the first team with. That was like a, that was really good, man. The first England period for me was, I was kind of chuffed with myself. So Leicester was a fairy tale. Yeah. <laughs> England wasn't? No, it wasn't. Not really. After the fourth fourth or fifth time, or maybe even less, third or fourth time, the kind of, the shine kind of comes off a bit and the kind of reality hits and that. And, I, you know, I wasn't really playing. 
I remember my debut, got my match on my debut and I was thinking, fucking, like, I'm flying, like, buzzing, when's the next one? You know, and then I went to the next one, didn't really play. And then I was like, scratching my head, got cut from the Euros. And I was like, scratching my head again, thinking, like, so what's going on? We, let's talk about the Euros yeah, cut. Yeah. I mean, because that was sort of felt from the outside, especially brutal. How did it feel for you? Yeah, it was. It was, I didn't expect it at all. I remember when they brought Jack Wilshire into the squad for the, so it was it was that first, we had like a training camp before it. And I know, I know Jack, I've played with him in the school, boys, he's an unbelievable player, unbelievable when he was brought in, I kind of knew then, I kind of thought, this is a, he's not played all season, like, what's this about? And then we go, like, a week into the training kind of schedule, and you, you get a feeling. So, and, you had Roy Hodgson and Gary Neville there at the yeah. time, though. You've obviously got the relationship with Gary from yeah. your days at United. So, what what were they saying to you during this period? Uh, not much, to be honest. There wasn't, there wasn't, like, a lot of personal interaction to do with the game. It wasn't like do this a bit more and you're going to 100% be on the plane. There was none of that. So if you loved Ranieri, yeah. how was the relationship with Roy? Nowhere near the same. In what way? Well, I mean, I'd, I wouldn't call Roy Otten my granddad. I'd call Claudio Ranieri my granddad. I just don't think we probably enjoyed each other's characters as much as what me and Claudio possibly did. And so how do they break the news that you're... Well, it was a phone call to the room. So it was oh. like, yeah, it was mad, honestly. So before, before we disappear off, off duty kind of thing, it was right. Everyone go back to your rooms, and then we'll call a meeting in like an hour. Sound, and then the phone rings, and then I was like, "Who rang?" Roy, and I was like, "I know who this is." So I answered, "Aya," and then it was obviously Roy. Yeah, yeah, I'll come. He wanted me to go to his room, so I was like, "Yeah, yeah no problem. Come down." And on the way down, I was like, "I know I'm cut." So then we obviously just, we spoke. Nothing like, you know, I think it was about this and this. It was just, we just decided with Jack instead of you. Uh, you've had an unbelievable season kind of thing. Don't let it kind of get to you. Go and enjoy your summer. So I was like... And you said... <laughs> sound. You know, and then obviously when when it kind of, you know, when you come off your oldies and you're watching the team and then it's like, the fuck? Like I should be there. I should be trying to help them. But you know, it's been it's been taken out of your hands. You can't you can't do anything. That would be the closest I've got to possibly playing in the Euros, hundred percent. And it's just been taken away. Do you know what I mean? Well, what's interesting is like you spoke about Claudio Ranieri, and yeah. it wasn't big things he was doing to build that relationship. So, was there some small things that you think? Uh, yeah, they could have done that better. Or I mean, with me personally, it was a bit. It was. It felt almost a bit prisony, like international football. You know, you'd go to St George's Park and you'd be in St George's Park for four, five, six days, whatever, and you're literally stuck in the hotel. Like I live an hour away from that, so I don't know. To get the best out of each player, could could you not give them the option of maybe living in at home and travelling in? I don't know. Possibly. I mean, I used to travel further to Leicester, so that to me was like walking a park. Well, let's move forwards then. So. The England thing happens, you yeah. go back to Leicester, you get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, amazing. I'd love to know how you first heard of Chelsea's interest. It was, yeah, it was the season after we won the Prem. So I was I was aware of that through the whole summer. There was, I think it was through my agent and stuff, there was quite a lot of contacts. Uh, and the N'Golo County deal happened and they had a bit of a falling out between the clubs over the deal. 
so then they kind of come back and was like listen we still want to get this done you know but the relationships kind of fell off between us and Leicester and I was like listen I'm I want to stay for this for this Champions League thing anyway let's when you know we revisit it whatever uh and then the January window come and we were still in Champions League so I was like I'm not leaving this there's just no chance and then obviously I think it was, was it February I think we might have fell out of the Champions League so I think then from coming out of the Champions League to the end of the season at Leicester it was always a bit like I felt imbalanced do you know what I was saying before about my yeah. balance and like I felt then it was a bit of an imbalance I kind of knew I was going to Chelsea it was just really hard work to get out really hard work how do you mean? it wasn't done in the right way for me it got it got a bit like it got a bit silly really can you give us an example? The director would be in meetings and I'd have to barge in and like try and cause a scene just to get an answer out of him. Do you know what I mean? It shouldn't have been like that. It should have been like, thanks, just sit tight. We just want this much. Just be patient. It's going to happen. That's how I would have liked it to have gone. But you know, it was just, it just got a bit silly. So when you barge in, what, what are you saying? Well, just the typical angry little Danny, aren't I? <laughs> get a deal done, what's going on? <laughs> and they say? I'm in a meeting like what What? get a fucking deal done and it was just, it was just silly it was just getting daft and then I remember uh, even even Riyadh's got a bit you know it was it was never it was never easy getting out I mean it never is really getting out of a club to be honest and it's not one I wanted to leave it's just I had to leave I knew like that had kind of completed its journey and there was no chance I was missing out on this opportunity so it just it just needed to happen and it was just it was just a shame the way it did and do you think you managed to Influence what happened in the end. 100%. So the deal happens. Deal happens. They don't want an angry Danny staying at Leicester. So no, no. Do you think, that, do you think they, maybe they thought that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, going back to my United days, I, honestly, I used to be... I remember Ollie, Warren Joyce, uh, and a few of the reserve managers, I think we were in that Mick Feeling. I think we were in the meeting at that time, and they were like, are you sure Like this is what you want to do? Play football? I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. Don't know what, don't know what else I'm going to do. You seem like so angry all the time. Oh right, okay. <laughs> they couldn't see you nah, the enjoyment that you nah, were getting nah, out of it. But I, it was just it was just my way of expressing as a young kid. You know what I mean? And what did that do for you? I mean, I'd like to say it fired me up. I'd like to say it made sure I didn't do the mistake again. You know, it was my way of learning, kind of thing. But if I could look at it a different way, hundred percent, I would have done. I just didn't have the tools to do it. You know, I just didn't know how to speak kindly to myself to then learn from kind of like a bad pass or like a you know a crap shot or a bad touch or something you know it was always like fuck's sake come on you what are you doing it's kind of my reaction to stuff and did you have the tools at Leicester t before you got angry to try and have like a civil conversation first with myself no no you just you went it, it was just like zero to ten pretty much like so if I was doing all the good passes all the right passes and then I wouldn't be like well done mate like well done I would, it would just be like... Oh, so you wouldn't give yourself the pat on the back? No, nah, not really, no. Nah. Looking back now, I'm, I'm thinking like, why didn't you? Some of, you? some of your stuff you used to do, mate, you used to be class. So where does that come from then? Like, my dad's exactly the same. If not, me on steroids, like, he's so bad with it. So it, my dad's like, uh, he works in labour, like he's a building trade, but honestly, like, if you listen to him trying to fix the radiator, you'd be thinking a bomb went off. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck am I listening to here? And was he tough with and you as a lad? Yeah, yeah. But not, nothing out of the ordinary? No, nothing, no, nothing yeah. out of the ordinary. No, I just, you know, I think it was just, again, like, I don't think he had the tools to, to know how to 
deal with things differently. And I think I just kind of like picked up on stuff kind of on the way through. So, you, so you, as a father now yourself, yeah, what would you do differently than what your dad did for you when you're watching your lad play football? Oh, everything, everything different. I've, to be honest, I've, <clears throat> with my little man, I've, I don't think a little part of me has been like pushing him into football. Kind of like, do what you want to do, mate. Do what you want to do. So you're trying to get out of Leicester, right? Were you able to use these tools, to like positive tools to get out? Or did you go straight to the angry Danny as soon as you thought the deal wasn't no, going to happen? No, I remember uh, it was Craig Shakespeare at the time was the manager. Yeah. And I remember going to him saying, Shakespeare, listen, you know this needs to happen. Gutted it's underneath you. I don't want to leave you. But, you know, the opportunity is just too good. I just, it's been sat there for a bit. I can't, I can't not go. Then we kind of talk as people, you know, are you sure you'll be happy in London? Yeah, I think I'd love it, to be honest. And then it's like, you know, you kind of look at it from outside of football and he, and then he, he'd be like, I don't know what they're going to do, drinks, to be honest, but just be patient, maybe. There's not much I can do with that, Shakes. This needs to happen. This might sound a silly question because I, I get moving to Chelsea is exciting, but what was it for you? Was it the idea of getting to that top four club that you had that, from United or was it the financial incentive? What was it that was no, driving it, you it to was be that, so desperate? It was that that burning in the background getting back to the top four. It was me wanting to prove people wrong again. Like United told me, like, but I'm going to get back there, don't worry about that. Obviously, listen, the finances are great. Like, you know, you're getting... Put, you was on so much and then you're getting put on this much yeah but it was it was always about that top four yeah and being like regular champions league like europa all them big tournaments it was all about that so should we talk then about life at chelsea yeah yeah of course yeah um you know people will make that assumption 35 million quid whatever yeah. was paid for you phenomenal wages living in london back at a top club what was the reality of that move like as a whole it was obviously garbage but you know if you break it down I had some unbelievable times there not unbelievable but like you know really good times so I mean the first day was madness like literally it was left Leicester deal hadn't been done and it from what I know I don't think Leicester planned to get it done drove down sat down there with my agent and a, and a few other people was in like a hotel for majority of the day and then we got an extension on the deadline because it was never done in time. I remember, so uh, Michael Emin, a lot of the time, we've, you know, he's like, bear in mind, I think it was like one, two o'clock in the morning. He was the director of football at Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, correct, yeah. And then he's like, you know, shouting down the corridor, let's get this deal done and all this. And I'm sat there thinking, fucking you know, hell, what's going on? And anyway, we get the extension and signed it and all that. And Michael's still in his office. So I've, I've walked down like sheepish and that, like put like a face on. Mike's like, not got the deal done. It's not been done. He's like, fucking what? And I've gone, way! <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, jinx, you dickhead. So I'm like, no, it's all done. Like, obviously buzzing then. Yeah, I bet. So did you have a conversation with the manager? Uh, no, no uh, only only previous on the phone. Never met him. What did he but say? I've seen him, I've seen his work in the season and I'm all over it. I'm thinking, wow, this guy's a genius. And like tactically, like he looked, he looked like way better than anything else I've ever seen but it was more about like when, we, when we'd when we speak it'd be more about I'm excited to get you at the club you know you kind of look like the player that'll slide right in and all the right things When do you think things first started no longer going right at Chelsea? Uh, so I mean the first season was a bit tricky you know I picked up like three or four niggly little injuries that were just 
I mean, it's just part of football, really. You can't really point any things like that. Was there any part of you that was acting like differently? Because, you know, you've been a great pro till this point. Were you suddenly earning loads of money, out on the lash, having a f- bit of fun in London, mm. not fully focused on your football? Like, had you changed? Oh, in, that, in the second season, 100%. But not in the first season. No, no, I was. You arrived and you were. I was on it. Yeah, I was. I was dying to get going. It was never the fee that bothered me. That was like that's just separate. It was more like I need to prove myself again now. You know, I've I've ticked a box by getting back to a top four. Now I need to stay there, kind of thing, and you know, prove to myself, not about anyone else. It's myself now. Yeah. And then you know, you, you kind of you get the injury. You know, it's like right, okay, go again, come back. And then it was literally at the end of that season, like with with Chelsea, it was just I had this one moment that disappointed me massively, and can't say too much, but hopefully, you know, in the future, it's going to get sold, the kind of thing. But that summer, after that, I was like, I need to go. This just isn't for me. This it's it's not really worked from the get go, and then this has happened. So I could do with going here. This isn't going to go any better. And I remember in that first season, I moved, I, like, I bought a big house to move all my family down, all my, like, my dogs, everything, have a good go of it. And I was ready to just like forget about that and just go where I needed to get, just so like my career would kind of not go the way it's gone. So you, you had to get out? I was, I was trying to leave that first window. I appreciate confidences, but what was it? Was it a personal or was it a professional thing? No, no, thing? it was... I mean, I can't say too much yet, I don't think, but it was to do with a club, yeah. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Today's episode of High Performance is in partnership with MindLift. And many of you may have heard already that in 2023, I decided to give MindLift a go. The neuroscience-based personalized brain trainer to improve your focus and your relaxation. So I popped on the headband, I downloaded the MindLift app and connected to my own personal neuro coach. And look, because of my job as a podcaster, I get to experience so many different things that people tell me are going to benefit my life. And in all honesty, once I started using MindLift, I just found that I felt sharper, my focus was better. And I think something else that you can't necessarily feel is that it offers an improvement for overall brain health. I also was really reassured by the fact that this is trusted by clinicians around the world. I know for a fact it's used by top athletes. I've spoken to some of them about how much they love it. And the fact that the whole experience is customised by your own neuro coach, I think just makes it really smart. So if you want to get involved and you're interested, now is the time with a $40 discount exclusively for you. And if you want to get $40 off your first subscription, just go to mindlift.com slash highperformance. That's M-Y-N-D-L-I-F-T dot com slash highperformance. Hey, look, as you know, in high performance, we love to highlight businesses doing things a better way. That's why we're proud to partner today with Mint Mobile. And when I found Mint Mobile... 
I had to share it with you. They've ditched retail stores and all the overhead costs and passed those savings on to you. Right now, Mint Mobile has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk and text plus data for $15 a month. And for me, those numbers are fantastic. I've been paying way more than that for my whole life. So if you hate your phone bill, Mint Mobile can offer you premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. All the plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can choose from three, six or 12-month plans. Say goodbye to your monthly phone bills. So to get your wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash HPP. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash HPP. Additional taxes, fees and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So basically you've arrived at Chelsea. Yep. The very first opportunity to leave, you feel you need to go. Yeah. And to this day you're unable to tell people what no, it was. It wasn't it wasn't it was bef- so what I can't say happened before I wanted to go. So it was it was me then thinking like this is it's just not for me, like I need to go. So that was previous. And now in the summer I'm trying to leave and then uh my agent's saying, Listen, like they're not letting you go, you to get in another manager in stick around she's she's not letting you go stick around so I'm like what the fuck right okay I'm making out like you know me staying at Chelsea is a really bad thing still a great thing but when you get a feeling I kind of I knew it wasn't going to go the way I wanted it to go but it was just out of my hands at that point and if you were able to tell people now what had happened would they have a a greater understanding of of what happened afterwards and why things got so difficult possibly yeah It'd make more sense. So although we can't talk about that moment yeah. specifically, you can tell us the impact it had on you. I mean, you can see the impact. The season after, didn't play a single minute. You know, that's when we go back to what you were saying a second ago where I'd I'd get stuck into the London City life. You know, I'd, I'd be partying way more than what I kind of want to do. And my focus wasn't on football for the first time. And you use that term balance quite a few times, mm. so it sounds now that things have gone completely, oh, yeah, completely <laughs> out of balance. And I'm interested in who was around you to remind you of that balance or to help you try and find a, a better place. Yeah, I mean, it was more, it was probably me, to be honest, looking in the mirror kind of thing. It wasn't, it wasn't coming externally. You know, I'd, I'd be going into training knowing I wasn't playing and sometimes not even training. It was, it was so strange. Like, I'd go to training and I'd be, doing fitness on my own whilst the lads were training. And I've, I've never been in that position in my life. And I was like, what is going on here? This is so foreign to me, this. And it's like, the fuck? I'm here to play football, not to like, you know, I'm not an athletics runner. Like, get me on the pitch. Didn't you try and have a conversation with the club and say, listen, let's just sort this out. Like, this isn't working for anybody. Mm. At the start, I did. It was Sari, who's a great guy, by the way, and we got along top. It was so strange, like, we got along top. I just don't think we've seen eye to eyes. I don't even know if it was from him, looking back now, but I was given an hour to, like, find an English club, and I was like, what are you fucking... How do you mean? So we had, we had the meeting. He pulled me into his office. This is, like, said, like, an hour before the window closes. This is under Sari now? Under Sari, yeah. And Gianfranco's always in there. He was, again, a really nice guy. And we're, we're talking, just having chat. And then he goes, we need to, let's talk serious kind of thing. 
I think you're going to get frustrated with, the, with your playing time this season. I don't know what. Where's this? Like, you know, they just signed Jorginho kind of thing, which is fair. But, I, you know, I'd been a part of his pre-season plans and stuff. I was always playing games. Like, well, where's this come from? And then Gianfranco, and I was like, I've got an hour, like, what's going on? Like, no, no, like, you know, there's load of Italian clubs that, well, what the fuck, I've just had a kid, like, I ain't going anywhere. So what do you want me to do? He's like, well, so I was like, what the fuck? So I just walked out. It was a difficult one, that, because I was in a position there where, you know, first of all, it was a surprise. And then secondly, it's going, it's going way against what I wanted. So then it's like, they will just go to Italy and, or go to Spain in the leagues and then I'm like nah man my priority is my kid like you've got no chance like this is this is all changed now I'm I'm st- sticking in I'm this is me I'm settling here there was talk of Cesc going at the time but then you know he stayed Jorginho came in so I knew it'd be hard work I, listen I knew it wasn't going to be easy but I did not want to become a part of that loan market that Chelsea's got it was just never in my plans when I joined ever You've walked out of the office. You've decided that I'm I'm gonna stay here. Yeah. How did you go about resetting expectations? If you did, I think a part of me did. A, a part of me didn't want to let it go though. It was, I was literally going in training, and my mindset totally changed. So like I I where in the past I'd go into training and I'd be hundred percent on it every day. I'd be grafting. I'd be probably. I'd like to say I'd work just as hard as the hardest person on the pitch. You know, but I'd have my off days where I'd get pissed off or whatever, like natural, but. I was now going into training just to keep people entertained. Like, I'd, I'd go in and be like, on the drive-in, I'd be like, right, drinks, just fucking, just don't be a today kind of thing. Just be a nice guy. Like, don't let it piss you off too much, you know, if you can make people laugh. Did you feel you'd been forced into this? You know, football's controlled by transfer windows anyway, so I knew as soon as this one went, I had another four or five months until January. So it was like, just get on with it. and then. That window come and I was like, you know, I didn't have a schedule with my son at the time. It was still all over the place with custody kind of thing. But I was still not willing to to go to then mess that up even more because that was my priority. So I think it was taken out of my hands. I didn't have, there's nothing really that I could have done better at that stage. What do you reflect on as the lowest point? I'd probably say that season, yeah. I just think <clears> the whole season was just tough it was so hard because then you know I've got things happening off the pitch and then things are not happening how I'd like to on the pitch and you know we talk about we said about balance again like if shit hits the fan off the pitch but it's going good on the pitch you can kind of juggle it a bit whereas if both are like all over the place you just don't know how to like react to anything it was it was a strange position and what came first? Was it the off-the-field problems, you think, precipitated what went on on it, or was it the other way around? I don't think it was one or the other. I just think, at the time, you know, like, that was the club's decision and the manager's decision, and then this is kind of happening, and it just kind of all, like, fitted in where I just didn't know really how to how to manage myself. We had a conversation with Jordan Henderson, mm who spoke about, again, almost lacking the tools to be able to handle some of the professional challenges. He was coming home and he almost wouldn't open up to his wife and that created issues that he eventually managed to resolve. And I'm interested in what this professional situation was doing for you, going home and dealing with some of the challenges you were facing. 
I was a single lad in London at the time. So I was, you know, without going too much detail away, I was like, I was being a single lad in London. I was getting stuck into living in the, living in the city. I was, I was trying to enjoy that side of life as a kind of cover for everything else, basically. You know, I, that's what I'd use to kind of enjoy myself because everything else was going pretty shitty. Yeah. You look back now and it was, you know, I'd, I'd be going out drinking, I'd be, you know, single, like I said, so I'd be getting older like any bird I kind of can and it was just mad. It was just, it was just not it was just not me as a focused footballer, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And people will look at this and go, you're earning huge money. Yeah, it means... You're a huge football club. Yeah. You don't even have to go to work. You can just be your own guy. Mm. You're in the capital of England and you're single. You must have been having a great time. What is the reality? I mean, it's, it does sound great, to be fair. Sounds great. But when everything's not going right and you've got that, that is irrelevant. It, it's secondary, like earning the wage is absolutely pointless. It doesn't mean a thing. I think anyone thinking earning a good amount of money is going to solve all your problems is just, it's just not true at all. You know, and then you've got like, you're playing for Chelsea, you're earning all that money, like you said, you know. But like, nah, I'm like, I'm not playing for Chelsea. Yeah, I'm earning money kind of thing, but I'm not playing. I'm not, I'm not earning it how I want to earn it. For me, it's a kick in the bollocks, really. And then you get, you know, you, you're waking up with like a hangover and then it's like, fuck. Kind of last night's, you know, happiness has kind of disappeared and stuff and it's back to reality. And then you're going like, right, I've got to go into training now and not kind of train. So I'm not getting like that enjoyment out of work. I mean, I'm trying to put it into perspective for people. So, I mean, imagine like you go into an office job maybe and then you go into the office and it's not a place where you want to be because the people you're working with, working for... Don't want you. Don't want you. Exactly, don't want you. But you're going in there, you're putting on a brave face and you're trying to make the best of it. How unhappy were you? Yeah, I was unhappy, man, yeah. I mean, I, listen, I, I loved certain parts of it. Like, outside of football, I loved it. But as soon as I was in the car on the way in, I was like, fuck. But we always have high agency, right, over our lives. We always can decide how we react to certain yeah, situations. Course, yeah. You know, no one else was making you go out and drink and have a great time and everything else, right? So why were you not able to just press stop on this and go, right, the best thing for me is to still be as professional as possible? I mean, I'd like to think I was, to be honest. Like, I know I was drinking and doing all that stuff that we've discussed, but I'd, I'd still go into training and I'd make sure I, I was as good as I could be for the lads. That was that was my only way. I could be professional around the place. It wasn't, you know, when they go on and win the Europa League that year and I'd like to think, you know, me being a bit of a clown around the place in the day kind of helped them. But, but you got arrested and charged yeah, with drink yeah. driving. No, there, there was times where... That's not... No, taking control of no, your life. No, accountability is massive for me. I mean, that was a massive wake-up sign for me, like, massive. Because I remember I was in the cell for, I think it was 23 hours I was in it. And, it, you know, they usually take two or three hours on things, I think. <laughs> and I was in there and I was obviously, like, I'm sobering up and I'm in this cell and I'm thinking, what the fuck are you doing, mate? This is not you at all. It's not you as a person. It's not how you want to be as a person. Like, you need to get hold of yourself here. You know, and then that's when I started seeking outside help with it all. So 
I was then speaking to like, you know, psychologists and stuff saying, listen, like something's not right here. This isn't me. Like I need kind of some direction, some something, some other focus to improve myself again. And what was the advice coming back to you from these experts? Uh, do you know, one thing that's always stuck in my head, what, they've, uh, what they said was, they say about spinning plates, I mean, it's quite, I think it's quite a well-known thing now, but, you know, if, if you're trying to spin so many plates, there's only so many kind of like plates you can spin at once. I was trying to spin so many at one time, it was just getting way too much. So then I think, you know, slowly like things started to like come together a bit and then everything got a bit lighter, you know, so I wasn't going out drinking as much. I'd go out when I want to go out. You know, I wasn't doing maybe as rash things as what I was doing in the first six months. Would you mind sharing with us? Because I think it is so valuable for people to hear a former professional footballer talk about this. Um, your mental health. I think it's huge, man. I think mental health is probably more important than your physical health, to be honest. You know, you've got, you can be physically fit, but if you're not mentally well, you're gonna, your body's going to break down. You know, so I think priority every day of the week should be mental health, 100%. Now, mentally unwell were you? I'm not sure if I was in the deepest hole, but I was, it's the darkest I've ever felt, 100%. You know, I've always been about, I've always been the kind of personality that would like, you know, just get on with it, brush things, you know, the typical like kind of man stuff. But during that stage, I just couldn't shift anything. It was almost like you're drowning a bit and you forgot how to swim. And with an upbringing that you've had, mm -hmm. <clears throat> did you feel it was your responsibility to 100%. deal with that alone? Yep. And everyone else's. They can't see it. Don't let them see it. You can't hurt them. I mean, I, f I feel like I get a bit upset, buddy. It makes it a bit more harder for me when family's involved. That's what gets me. Mm. What do you mean? Just the responsibility of like, of making them possibly feel a bit shit as well. Mm. Did you feel you let them down? Yeah. So what, like, what did your mum and dad say when oh, you no, when came I, when out I, of the cell? They're obviously disappointed, like any parent would be, do you know what I mean? But I think they kind of knew as well, like I wasn't being myself. So I don't think they, like, they didn't hold it against me because they knew, like, I was going through, from outside it looked a bit shitty, but, you know, they were obviously, like, close to me. So they kind of know it's shitty. Bit stupid, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, like, kind of let me go with it kind of thing. And did you tell them how hard it was? Not at work? first, no. Not at first, no. Because I didn't, I didn't want to put any responsibility on them. Just, you know what I mean? Like when I think when you're going through these things, you almost like kind of bring everything in. Hmm. And then, you know, and then it obviously gets too much, then it's just literally like, like, it's like a flood. I've never really been through that before. I've never had to deal with it before. So this was like my first low point so I, again I, I was I was just a bit like what's going on here like why do I feel like you know loads of questions why do I feel like this why do I feel like this how do I deal with it you know it's something I've learned off again it's mad so if someone was listening to this then Danny what would you say would be the most effective first step for when if if they recognise they're at that low point what did you take well I, I just I mean talking's massive and feeling like you can trust the person you're talking to is massive. And just be kind to yourself, man. It's, you know, it's, 
it's never just going to be simple. Like things may have felt simple, but it's not always going to be that way. Like just give yourself a break, man. Just give yourself a little pat on the back when you need it kind of thing. Kindness is actually an important element to all this as well because mm. while all this is going on, you know, there's memes on the internet about yeah. Danny Drinkwater. Yeah. You're being nicknamed Danny Drinkbeer, Danny Drink Cocktails. Mm. I saw, I remember seeing an ESPN article calling you the second worst Premier League signing ever. And it's like, this is someone who's suffering with their mental health, mm. having a really difficult time, and then the public pylon happens as well. Luckily for me, I've never really focused on that. You know, I've never, even when it's been going good, I've never really focused on it. But, you know, you, you see it. It obviously chips away. Mm. Uh, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of mainstream media at all. I just think it's not a good thing. So I kind of stay away from it. But, you know, my mates look at it, my mates tell me about it. So, yeah, it's a bit like, just another thing, is it? One more thing to go with it, sound. Try and deal with that. Was there ever a point where you wanted just to talk like this almost? Yeah, 100%, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why didn't you? At the time, I don't think, I don't think you feel like you can trust a lot of people. And then even if, even if you do, like, you know, is it going to be then put out in the right way? I don't know if it is. Obviously, a moment came for a reset, right? Yeah. Burnley. Yeah. Now, the question that f people listening to this will be thinking is, hold on, really bad at Chelsea, he gets the chance to make a move, mm. goes to Burnley, who wanted him because they signed him, and he ends up getting in a scrap outside the nightclub. Yeah. Is this guy not learning his lessons? Yeah, it does. It looks pretty bad, doesn't it? So there was a few clubs, and I picked Burnley because it was I could drive from home, 45 minutes in the car, and I could be close to my son. You know, in hindsight now, I would have gone to another club, worked under a different manager, and the whole thing would have been totally different, but that's an easy thing to say, isn't it? I worked with Sean Dyche at Watford. He was the assistant at Watford at the time when I didn't enjoy it at all, you know, and I've gone to Burnley just hoping it'd be different, but knowing that I was close to my son. So that was that was the main reason why I chose that club. And then going into it, I knew his teams were fully, like, fit. I knew they were machines, and I was like, right, exactly what I need. But it didn't work just did not work at all. Why not? You know, Sean Dyche's got his own ways, kind of thing. You know, you've seen loads of players go under Sean Dyche and not be successful. I think I was just one of them. For what reason? Uh, well, first of all, I wasn't playing. You know, he got he got me fit, but I wasn't playing. You know, he kind of he kind of sticks with his teams and really, it's really, really hard to get in. I'm in the similar position at Burnley Football Club than I was at, at Chelsea Football Club. So then in my head, I'm thinking, what am I doing here when I can be at Chelsea doing the exact same thing? Like, what is going on? But bear in mind, like, some of Sean Dyche's ways are wicked, like, off the pitch. He's class off the pitch. I, like, you know, his meetings were brilliant. You know, he's got... He, he, I don't know how long he's been doing it, but he's got this real thing of, like, the mental side of stuff. And, you know, he's, he's, he's class. But then this, I mean, this Villa thing came up then, you know, and I could stay at home again. And it's another reset. Happy days, like, I have to get this done. So I, so did you, did he kind of get rid of you because of the night? No, no, he, no, no, he wanted me to stay. To stay yeah, right? he wanted me to stay, yeah. And what happened with that, if, if, that night? Uh, I can't remember much about it, to be honest. I just remember, again, I was in a nightclub drinking and then got into a little scuffle and then got, like, levered by a few of them. <laughs> Uh, and then I was up in the morning 
and it just my ankle just couldn't I just couldn't remember what happened. Right. Went into the training ground, got it looked at, and then I've obviously like I think I've like fractured or something in my foot. Never happened to any bone in my body at all. It's always been like pretty solid. And I was like, shit, what the fuck's going on here? It was a big hiccup in in what I wanted to be like a successful loan. But I, for me, it never felt like a make or break kind of moment that. Right. It was a strange one, you know, because if it was, like, I would have been told to leave by them. Like, he wanted to keep me, which I can't understand, to be honest, because he wasn't playing me. And like, I think we both knew all I needed was games. And then, like I said, that's when the Villa thing came up, which was massive. So you went to Villa? Went to Villa, yeah. And how did that go? Same. <laughs> uh, no, honestly, like, that's one thing I always, I, I mean, I've not, I don't think I've said this much, but I wish, that's one club I wish went different, Villa. Because from the moment I walked in, I was like, it surprised me. And it, it was, it felt almost similar to Leicester. So I was like, come on. Like finally a club where I feel like I can kick on a bit. Uh, manager was Dean Smith at the time, great. Chucked me straight in. But you know, probably I wasn't nowhere near ready. I was miles off it to be honest. Uh, debut stinking. Two or three games later, obviously like still stinking. Couldn't, couldn't like, I'm out of, I'm out of games now for a year and a half. So the speed feels like way too quick. And I'm thinking, fuck, like it's got away from me a bit here. So I end up doing way too much physical work than what I should be doing. Like this was myself now, trying to push myself a bit too much. Changed my diet, went vegan, pushed myself too much physically. I'd go in quite early at training, I'd swim, I'd do gym, I'd train with a team, I'd do more fitness on my own on the pitch. And then that was like my day then. Whereas when I'm flying, I go in training, chill out, train with a team, chill out, done. Do the odd gym session just to make sure my muscles are firing. Other than that, that, that was me. Whereas now, like, I'm I'm doing way too much. But I, I know I'm trying to catch up to something and I thought this is the way I need to do it when it, it wasn't. So how did you end up headbutting your teammate? That was after the Leicester game. So I've gone back to King Power here. It's away, Villa, Leicester, and uh, I think we get beat like 4-1 or something. I didn't even get on the pitch. And I'm like sat on the bench and I'm thinking, fucking hell. Like this is a place where I used to dominate like week in, week out here for a, quite a good period of time. How painful was that? That was, yeah, that was, that was probably like f football in terms where I thought, I've just had enough of this. Why am I here and not even playing? Like, I've come back. This, and I love football at Leicester and I've never got it back since I left there which you know is, is, is partly my fault and I thought oh I'm going back to where I love football mint you know not starting fine when I get on the pitch fucking buzzing I'll be flying all over the place didn't get on and then anyone in football will tell you that the day after a game if you've not played they are absolute head loss sessions so they are where like nobody's played minutes and it's you know just a Get some, get some movement into your legs, and it's just not nice at all as any player. So then we're in a game, and then me and the lad end up having like a little argument, and then it kind of carries on, and you know he just tells me to shut up a few two times too many, and then next minute you know he's on the floor kind of thing. And as soon as I did that, I felt like shit. 
not because of what I did, but because I knew, like, I just knew I reacted to something where I didn't need to react to it. I should have just walked away. I just let him say his piece and walk away. Where I was in, like, what I felt like was such a rut that I thought, fuck no, mate, you're getting it. I should have just walked off. Should have just walked off. Had he ever done anything like that before? Uh, I mean, I've had fights and stuff, yeah. but I've never, like, I've never been told to shut up two or three times and then reacted to it. You know, I just like say something back and then whatever happens, happens kind of thing. But I'd never, no, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. From what you've said though, you correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost feels at this point like you're almost seeing your career slip away now. Oh yeah, massively. Oh, it was going and I could feel it going. And I think that's why I was trying so hard to do all them extra bits to try and crawl it back. Yeah. And the hard thing was as well is I knew Dean Smith was not counting on me, but I knew he thought, you know, we're going to get you back here. We'll get you back. So then you've got that additional complex layer of feeling like you're letting people down again. Yeah, yeah. I think I have, yeah. Well, I have in the background now knowing about it. Yeah. And then even, that's when COVID came. So literally the COVID period and the season gets extended and my loan contract runs out. And I'm at this point, I'm saying to the gaffer and that, like, obviously, listen, I really appreciate everything. Like, sorry, I kind of let you down, but like, I'm grateful. But want you to know, like, I really appreciate it. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, I'm, you know, go out to Chelsea. No, no, like, we want you to stay. So I'm like, what? What do you mean you want me to stay? What for? And he's like, what do you mean what for? We've got like eight massive games left or something it was. This is, it's a reset again. It's a massive opportunity. So I was like, gaffer, man, I'm just, uh, no, I just don't want to let you down again. Anyway, we ended up having a conversation, I ended up signing the extension. And that was even, for me, I was like, fucking hell, that's, that's good, that. Like, I really appreciate that. Like, let's see what we can make of it then. What did you make of it? Well, COVID came and I, I felt for the first time in two years, I was on an even playing field with the rest of the lads for fitness because I got myself into great shape and no one had played games now, I think, for like two or three months, was it? So I, f I felt like, fucking hell, like, mint. And then we had a couple of friendlies. West Brom felt really good, did really good. And I felt, you know what, drinks buzzing. Made the right decision here. Thanks, Gaffer. Sorted me right out. I'm back. Leicester away. First half of the game. Really good. Dominated again. Armstrong goes. <laughs> Fucking Armstrong goes. I know. And it's like, what fucking... And then, and then it's like, what chance have I got here? Like, what chance have I actually got? And it was like a grade two, six weeks out. And then I stayed at Villa. Yeah. Stayed at Villa. It was like, the, the club were great. Got back fit. I think the lads had only played one game because it was such a tricky time when it joined COVID. First training session in with the boys. Boom, hamstring again. Same leg. And I'm like, fuck's sake, what's going on? What actually is going on? Do you know when you, just, you I just couldn't feel like I could catch a break anywhere. I've got me trying to get my career back on to where I need to get it or feel like I want to get it. And I'm just getting injured. So what can you do? What can you actually do? I literally felt like my hands were just, it was just, everything was just out of my hands at that point. So what did you do? Uh, went back to Chelsea. Uh, went back to Chelsea and then went on loan to Turkey, Kasim Pasha, which was again brand new for me. So I'm going. I need to, this is my last chance. This. I need to, I need to work at it. Went, did the fitness test fine. 
went down in the gym the day after to do some fitness stuff on myself and my calf goes. <laughs> my calf goes. Oh, man. And again, it's it's that thing again, like it's out on my hands. Like I've tried literally, I've tried everything. When was you know that famous challenge on that kid that then went viral as well when you were playing for the under twenty oh, yeah. threes? When was was that right towards the end at Chelsea? So that I think that was before the Casablanca loan. Yeah, I think so. And that was just frustration again. I mean, I can't. Yeah, I, I can't remember much about it. I just remember him making a big tackle on me, and then I'm just thinking, fucking little shit. Kind of just lashed out a bit. Uh, but again, you know, like made a, it was like a little kick. Like, whoopie do, man. Yeah. Whoopie do. But then, you know. You're a story at this point. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's a, it's an easy target. And that's absolutely fine. No problem. But don't think I'm not like, I'm just going to take getting splattered by some little kid, like, piss off just because I'm going through it a bit. I ain't taking that. So, how does it feel having gone through that with us for the last little while? Yeah, it sounds a bit sore, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, it's not been easy. It sounds like for yeah. someone it would be tough. And this is a thing about expressing yourself. Like when you're going through it, if you're expressing yourself with someone like you can talk to or trust, you, it does sound like it'd be hard work. When you internalise things, which I was doing, I didn't I didn't get it myself. But then when I spoke to someone, it was like, fuck, that's, that does sound like a hard time. And like... You know, careers are careers. I mean, football's a short one and they do come to an end, but not being able to like kind of go through it how you'd want to go through it, it's kind of tough to take as well, I suppose. So how do you feel that, you, that you're that you almost in that position, but you're walking away from the sport now? So like, what have you learned that would have served you well from when you left United, left Leicester, now you're leaving football completely? I mean, I'd, I'd say like, listen, it's not just about your physical state. You need to... You need to prioritise your mental state. That's probably like where you should be focusing on. If you look at like all the people or players or even other sports, you know, the drivers or anything that's like peak, they all have like a really good, well, what I'd I'd look at and say like mental state. Do you know, like, you know, they all seem quite content or they always have some kind of stability or like balance or they're in kind of the right place mentally. So I just think... If young players can get that at a young age, that would be absolutely crucial for them in the long term. And are you at a point now where you can sit here and go, bloody hell, you know, best part of a 20-year professional career and I won the Premier League? Mm. Or do you sit here and go, that Chelsea period dominates my thoughts. I, I, I let myself down on too many occasions. Where are you at today? Yeah, I probably start with like, you've let yourself down kind of thing. Somewhere down the line a few times. But fuck me, drinks like you've you've played for England, you've won the Premier, you won the FA Cup, you know you've played in Charity Shields, like you've, you've done great, like you've literally done great. Mm. Like this is this is me coming from, you know, playing football on the estate as a kid, wanting to be this professional footballer. Like I've done it, and I think now that's the thing. Whereas, you know, if I had the same mindset maybe six years ago, I would be like. It's not even a shit career. But I've not. Like, I know now I've not. I've done things that most lads only dream of. I've, you know, and taking the medals out of it, you know, I've travelled the world, like, maybe not seen what I'd like to see with football because, you know, you're on a schedule. But there's so many more benefits as well to winning trophies, life experiences, everything, you know, the people you meet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've done, I've done class. 
I'm not what are the lessons you're going to take then from that incredible set of experiences into this next chapter of your life? Well, I'd like to think again. It's it's helped me grow, so I'm a better person from everything. If I can help other people doing it or on their way through, just a bit of perspective on stuff, and you know, I'd I'd like to be able to do that. Well, listen, mate. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Absolute pleasure. You know, people have watched this unfold, not actually knowing the true story. Yeah. And for you to come on and share it in the way you have, it's helpful for people who didn't know, but it's probably more helpful for people who are still to come. No, thank you. And no, hopefully it will it will help. Top man. Thanks, thank Mate, you. Cheers, thank guys. you so much for coming and sharing that. Was that. that. I loved it. Damien. Jake. Look, that was a really hard listen at times, actually, wasn't it? Brutal. Yeah, I think... Uh, Whilst I have tremendous sympathy for Danny, there's also an element of frustration as well for him that there was a number of opportunities and moments where it's a sliding doors moment. It could have been very different for mm. him. I think it's, you know, he had such a great youth career at United. He then had an incredible time at Leicester. It's obvious that the sort of the damage to him in that early period at Chelsea was so great that you, of course he's responsible. Totally, you know, no one gets behind the wheel of a car drunk without taking responsibility for that. And that is an act that is a horrendous thing to do. But obviously his mental health and his struggles and his lack of self-worth and his, his darkness was such that it went on for a long period of time and almost just didn't allow him to kind of, to see what he used to be before he was in this place. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a really good example of when somebody's identity gets wrapped up into who they think they are so you take away the idea of Danny the footballer who's left Danny the man wasn't necessarily somebody that by his own admittance he'd invested much time in developing and spending time with so therefore he's left with a vacuum and he's filling it with all the activities almost of like a like a young adolescent boy that the, the, the adolescent that he'd never been allowed to be because of he was pursuing a career at Manchester United at the time. And all of this, of course, compounded by his admission that there's no one harder on him than himself. So, you know, the self, the negative self-talk, the, the kind of self-loathing at this point clearly was was huge. And you saw him tear up when talking about the impact on his family and the, the sort of the sense of shame that would have been wrapped up in this as well. But I think the other really important thing is... We need this to be a conversation where people also have empathy for the situation that he was in. You know, this is a guy that was struggling in a really bad place, and that's not to make excuses for some of the stuff that he did, but it's to put into context some of the stuff that went on. One of my favourite theories that is, is the work of a guy called Kurt Lewin, a famous social psychologist that said, our behaviour is a function of both our personality and the environment that we're in. So we can maybe look at the personality element separately, but the environment stuff will always have a big part of it. So the easiest way of explaining it is that when you cut somebody up in traffic, it's because you're in a rush. When somebody does it to you, we label them a dick or the rude or abrasive or whatever. And I think it's easy to look from the outside in and make judgments on Danny's personality. Whereas when what we've tried to do here is step back and look at the environment, that you see a guy that has been isolated from his dream. These are all quite brutal experiences that then shape how you do behave and how you do react at those key moments. And I think just hearing that is invaluable for us to be able to have, as you say, greater empathy. Absolutely. Well, we wish him the very best in retirement. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's really brave that he's chosen to come here and share something about the incredible success of his career, but equally the pitfalls that uh, he fell into. So there we go. Like I told you, you would perhaps see a side of Danny Drinkwater you hadn't seen before, and I would love to know what you thought of that episode. There are only two things that you can do to help us out, you know. The first one is to share and spread these podcasts to get more people listening to them. And the second thing is to just hit the subscribe button. It takes a few moments, but it means we can grow this podcast channel and attract even more people to come on this platform and share their stories. Remember, remain humble, curious, and chase your own version of high performance. Thanks for listening. 